Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, everyone. My name is Tegan Klein. I am the co-founder and business lead of Edge and Node. My guest today is James Simpson, co-founder of Mstable. Mstable is an autonomous and non-custodial stablecoin infrastructure. Today, we talk about James' journey to where he is today, the founding story of Mstable, how you can earn hedge fund-style returns via a savings account, the Mstable Hub, how to decentralize your bank, and we talk about DAOs and so, so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with James. Today's show is brought to you by The Graph. The Graph is the decentralized indexing and query layer for the decentralized web, what we call Web3. What Google does for the web, The Graph does for blockchains. The Graph is one of the most used protocols in the space with more than 22,000 developers that have built over 22,000 subgraphs on the graph ecosystem. The graph powers Web3. You can get involved as an indexer, curator, or delegator on the graph to earn GRT in the network. Thank you so much for tuning in. Great. Well, I would love to start with your story, James. Where did it all begin? Thanks, Tegan. Um, yeah, really excited to be on Around the Coin. Uh, my story uh, in crypto actually began uh, when I was at school and a few people smarter than me were interested in Bitcoin uh, and I um, kind of dismissed it as something that I, I didn't really understand at all. Um, but it kept following me from then on. That was kind of 2011. And then when I was doing an internship at KPMG in, uh, in Shanghai, I was introduced to a guy called Shinbo, who runs a firm called um, Finbusher Capital, and it's a crypto uh, firm based out of Shanghai. Used to have Vitalik as a partner, and uh, now no longer. Um, and that was in 2014, before kind of the Ethereum became kind of a, a household name. Uh, but Shinbo had a really incredible um, perspective on cryptocurrencies, and uh, he, he taught me a huge amount and kind of saved me from a lot of boring. Uh, days uh, behind a spreadsheet at KPMG. Um, and then uh, after that, it kind of kept on following me. I always wanted to work full-time in the industry, but there simply just weren't any jobs back then. Uh, and then 2017 hit, obviously huge capital inflows in the industry. Um, and I was lucky enough to, through Schoenbohr, meet a guy who was starting a fund in Australia. Uh, and that fund's called Apollo Capital, and I became their first employee. Um, and that was kind of mid 2017, and 
it's it's been a, a, a wild ride a wild ride since then and my my, my boss um, at, at at Apollo Capital, Henrik Anderson, who who um, was a co-founder of DHedge, uh, if you know um, that protocol, uh, and is still the CIO of, of, of Apollo Capital. Uh, well, on my first day, he said the low-hanging fruit of smart contracts, uh, financial agreements, and this was January 2018 when uh, people were thinking Ethereum was more useful uh, for pure speculation. That's about it. Um, and, and, and it was definitely him who kind of uh, instilled uh, a kind of more reasonable understanding of, of the early use cases of Ethereum. Um, and yeah, I feel, feel very lucky to have worked there for um, a few years and kind of been uh, in the early days of a lot of uh, DeFi projects before DeFi was a word. Um, and then ultimately, uh, after spending a lot of time at the fund and trading with stable coins, um, it, it became kind of just too too attractive a proposition uh, to, uh, to 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 miss. So I, I ended up um, founding M Stable, which is a protocol focused on uh, solving major stable coin related problems. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into into all of that. And that kind of began uh, in 2019. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a quick summary of my of my crypto experience there was university and all that kind of stuff uh, in the middle there as well but uh less interesting i think for the audience that's great yeah i also have a similar story learned about bitcoin in 2011 kind of put it on the shelf went the traditional wall street route and then and then came full circle um i would love to learn more about like that aha moment for you and what was it around like stable coins that really excited you yeah um I think the aha moment for me was, uh, was well, kind of two things. One was reading uh, Nassim Taleb, whose reputation is, uh, is, is somewhat shaky these days. Uh, uh, there was a bit of a Snowden fight on Twitter. But his books are incredible. Um, and uh, the idea of um, kind of uh, having... Uh, kind of asymmetric risk um, and being able to take asymmetric bets on things that uh, have kind of a potentially slim chance uh, when you first look at them uh, at being globally a revolutionary, but still there is a chance. Uh, and I think the headwinds behind crypto, uh, kind of obviously increasing digitization, um, real issues. Uh, with privacy in the current Web2 stack, um, uh, kind of ex- extractive um, business models. All of these things were pointing towards uh, a solution needing to be made, and it was kind of staring us in the face. And I think this, the, the, the thing that really attracted me was that all of this speculation that happened in 2017 actually put a lot of serious people off. Uh, so in terms of opportunity, uh, I couldn't see a more fertile ground. Uh, all the smart people had ignored it because, because it was kind of uh, crazy speculation, and and uh, and and um, it seemed like a a kind of place where um, where there was a lot of opportunity. And I think when I started working with Henrik and he started explaining um, how financial agreements could be built using non-custodial smart contracts, uh, that was kind of the Wow, this is uh, seriously. Web two was for was for communications. Web three is um, 
or one aspect of it is for finance, and that's a multi-trillion dollar industry that could could migrate uh, to this new stack. Um, and uh, so I think, yeah, probably around uh, in, in kind of 2018, Henrik, Henrik used to um, make jokes of me walking around the office with the make a white paper under my arm. Um, and that was one of the early projects that kind of made me realize that this is a completely new paradigm. Uh, the idea of borrowing against yourself against yourself or a piece of software it was just so um incredible um to my mind uh particularly after uh you know only my my at that point in my life my only interaction with finance pretty much had been uh had been my retail bank account um and then then, then this permissionless platform that let me borrow against myself um it was it was it was something completely uh, out of this world, um, and then things just things just got uh, you know more and more sophisticated quite rapidly. And then obviously we're here today buying JPEGs, but um, <laughs> but uh, a lot lot has happened um, uh, in between. And um, so yeah, I think I, I think it, it was a slow burn though. Um, at university, I uh, um, my friend and he's he's actually co lead of M Stable now, James Ennington. He had a Bitcoin fund. Um, and there was a bit of like an aha moment with Bitcoin, but it never, uh, for, for me personally, never kind of uh, got me as excited as the uh, as Ethereum in terms of just the multiplicity of applications that you could um, that you could you could create uh, on it. Amazing, yeah, I echo that as well, and and I do see a lot of parallels right now with the the NFT boom or the the JPEG piece that you mentioned, and and the ICO boom back in in 2017, and. I do feel like it's important that everyone make sure make sure that the JPEGs are on a decentralized stack. Otherwise, you could run into kind of a similar issue with what happened with the ICO space and a lot of these companies disappearing. Well, now you've just spent like a million dollars on on what you thought was an NFT, but is really just a, a JPEG, and the company's gone, and and now your art's gone as well. Um, For sure, but yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and I, I would I think the audience would be really interested. You know, as a founder of of M Stable, would love to hear what that journey was like. Um, how did you how did you come to found M Stable? Yeah, so I was trading a lot of stable coins and using a lot of stable coins as the uh, kind of only employee of this fund back in uh, two thousand and eighteen mainly. Uh, and these financial applications were emerging, so I was lucky enough to be one of the first liquidity providers, uh, only with a small amount, but uh, on to DYDX. Um, it was called Expo, I think, back then. Um, and uh, was speaking to these teams quite quite, quite a lot. Uh, I interviewed Robert Leshner back then as well. Um, and I was so amazed by these financial applications that were emerging. But it became kind of pretty clear that one major weakness in this whole concept was were stable coins, and maybe weakness is the wrong word, but one kind of key element to it succeeding is uh, is stable coins. And we, we, you know, I'm sure, Tegan, you, you feel this as well that you know, a decentralized stable coin is kind of the holy grail uh, in DeFi when we when we have that a truly decentralized and um, kind of scalable. Um, a stable coin that 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 really uh, is a game changer, but back back in early 2018, um, uh, Dai had very little Lindy. I hadn't been around for that long, um, 
uh, USDT was absolutely the major stablecoin, and people, as they are today, are still pretty concerned about uh, about that stablecoin. So there was the kind of first of all risk element to stablecoins that I that, that I, I was kind of concerned about. Would you put all your wealth in this stablecoin, um, and what happens if it, for some reason, breaks because of say under collateralization or that's a technical problem or a hack or a um, kind of whatever a liquidation issue, whatever the problem is, it, it, it is possible. It is an edge case. Um, so you're not only concerning about you're not only concerned about say inflation, which is might be a, a risk that um, FX traders or currency holders uh, are concerned about, but you, there are all these additive risks. And to my mind, that kind of was not a very good innovation if uh, the end user was actually concerned about more problems and more risks than they would have been in TradFi. Um, so there was that risk element that I think like still needs to be solved to a larger degree, um, but definitely needed to be solved back then. I think the, the, the second point would be yield. Uh, this is, again, relevant in TradFi as much as DeFi um, or, or more than DeFi. If you hold US dollars, obviously, the, the yield you're going to get in the bank is, is, is pretty pitiful. Um, but back then, it was actually worse in DeFi. Right now, the yields are obviously pretty crazy. And they were, to August 2020, they were ab- absurd. But um, uh, back in 2018, you held USDT and um, Bitfinex was, was actually receiving the yield and you received nothing. Um, so you got this greater risk, no yield, and very few venues to earn yield. Um, Compound certainly didn't list USDT um, back then. So you have this yield issue, um, and I, I think the kind of um, last last issue was that trading between these stable coins were was was really inefficient. I remember I had to kind of put my die. I had to go kind of go to Binance, trade it for Bitcoin, um, <laughs> trade Bitcoin back, and then buy kind of the other stable coin. So multiple different trades on on Binance. And um, so pretty poor user experience there. And the MStable protocol, at least V1, was built to solve those three problems. And the, and the way we did it was to create a stablecoin AMM uh, where the funds deposited in that AMM are also the uh, backing of a meta stablecoin. So when you come to the AMM, you have the choice of when after you deposit of minting a meta stablecoin it's backed by those deposits or having an LP token that kind of earns the yield uh, of those, uh, of the AMM. Um, so let's see if we just take the kind of just the meta stablecoin aspect. We've put some restrictions into trading into the unstable AMM. So if a stablecoin does fail, it's not a catastrophic event for the end user who, who holds that, um, that meta, meta stablecoin or MUSD as we call it. Um, whereas in a, in a system like Curve or every, pretty much every AMM, if one of the assets fail, then the basket or the pool will fill up with the failed stablecoin um, as arbiters kind of come in and take advantage of that. Um, so we think we've created a kind of more secure stablecoin um, through just a very simple diversification mechanism. Uh the second point is that 
AMMs are pretty incredible pieces of technology. We allow the stable coins to be swapped. We also deposit the stable coins at the same time onto Compound and Aave. Um, and we're combining that, that lending income and also kind of automatically liquidated farm tokens with swap fees. And that can generate a pretty uh, incredible yield. Uh, so we, we launched in May 2020, and the average has been about 17.5%. Um, approximately percent on, on US dollars. And that's the base yield uh, in M-Stable. Um, so obviously that's you know, hedge fund style returns um, in a savings account. Um, so that's, that, and that's not inclusive of any kind of token reward that we, we give, that that's extra. Um, so the yield aspect we, we, we hope was, um, was solved at least to some, to some degree um, through M-Stable. And then... Um, uh, the the last bit uh, in terms of swapping, obviously AMMs and M doesn't pretend to be the um, uh, the kind of greatest innovator of the swap piece. Uh, I think we can all agree that Curve did that exceptionally well and and continue to. Um, but you can still swap uh, stable coins very efficiently uh, on on M stable, and our fees are two basis points, so that's some of the cheapest uh, cheapest in DeFi. Um, so all of those kind of problems, we, we try to kind of make coherent in a protocol. Um, and that's that's kind of what M-Stable is um, at a high level. Amazing. I think you said something, I mean, you said a lot of really great things, but I think decentralizing the stable coin is extremely important. And I want to ask you more on that in a moment. But first, you know, you've given us a great high level of M-Stable. Can we, can we break it down a little bit further and maybe like the one line sentence of what M-Stable is? Yeah, great, great question. Um, the one line is uh, a stablecoin hub. So if you have a stablecoin, you can come to M-Stable uh, and pretty much every stablecoin that, that exists, uh, any, every major one, you can come in and you can access a, a high-yielding savings account. Uh, you can come to M-Stable and you can swap that stablecoin too for every major stablecoin. Um and if you want to protect your stable coins, you can mint the meta stable coin, which gives you a diversified exposure to uh, to stable coins. So you're not going to um, lose all your money uh, if one fails. Um, that's kind of the high level, the stable coin hub. And a little bit of just a look into the future, we're building uh, new products. So products that, that, that where you'll be able to leverage and borrow um, on, on, on M-Stable as well. And we hope that we can kind of create a whole host of services that are centered around stable coins. Amazing. I love that. Almost like a protocol for, for stable coins. And what's your vision, you know, in five, 10 years, what does this look like? Who's building on it? What is that kind of founder vision that far out? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, we would like to be kind of a bank 2.0. So we, in no way are a bank. Uh, we're non-custodial. Users always hold their funds. Um, uh, we actually don't even facilitate lending or borrowing. We put that to other uh, to other protocols. Um, but you can think of the services that we offer as bank-like. Um, we have an exchange which could be comparable to like a forex service. Um, we have a state. We have a savings account, um, which is kind of like a retail bank um, offering. Uh, and, and, and we have a kind of a protected, not really insurance, but we do have a diversified kind of protected product. We would like to 
keep on building out these services that traditionally banks have created, but as Legos for DeFi. Um, so in the savings, uh, for our savings accounts, we're going to keep on building out new uh, fixed, potentially fixed income markets, for example, um, high risk uh, savings accounts, lower risk savings accounts, and create a whole host of products where um, other applications can easily integrate them. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think the idea of kind of a a, a, a bank, but not um, uh, but but obviously not like a fintech bank, uh, a DeFi a DeFi bank is kind of the, the direction that we're going uh, we're going in. And I think a lot of people um, haven't actually explicitly gone after that goal uh, in, in DeFi. It's mainly been kind of money markets and then building on top of money markets to create other other kind of uh, products. But we think that there's a um, a real benefit in collecting these services under one umbrella, tying it together with a with a token that will receive all of the value from these um, disparate services and become a really trusted uh, lower level kind of protocol player in this space. Um, because we think that uh, over time. Uh, if we've never been hacked, for example, <laughs> as kind of a, um, uh, for, for example. So I think over time, trust is increasingly important. And I think it's good to kind of leverage that trust and, and, and build um, build additional uh, product services. So we're kind of taking more of a product approach than a protocol uh, first approach, uh, which I know is, um, is a little different to uh, some other players in DeFi. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's kind of what, what excites us. Amazing. And you mentioned the token. I would love to dive into that a little bit. Can you speak about how MUSD is different than other stablecoins out there? Sure. Yeah. So MUSD is a meta stablecoin. That's kind of the term that we use. Um, and it's backed by existing stablecoins. Uh, so it's fully on-chain. Um, the, the, the mechanism that creates MUSD is fully decentralized. Um, uh, and gives the user a diversified exposure to these to these stablecoins. So the idea is really simple. Um, if you want to hold Dai, uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, but if Dai fails, um, then there is a kind of uh, a, a problem that you have. There's not much kind of counterparty protection um, with with something like Dai. Um, so MUSD kind of thinks of that really edge case scenario and, and protects the user first through diversification. And then um, in a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing staking uh, V2, a new, a new staking contract. Uh, and that will incorporate a recollateralization contract, which uh, essentially ensures the metastable coin uh, even further. Um, so if say USDT fails, um, uh, the user would be protected first by diversify, by this kind of diversification mechanism. Um, uh, only a portion of the asset will uh, will go to zero, uh, assuming that that asset goes to zero, uh, and then it'll be recollateralized automatically. Um, so we're pretty excited about that, and we think that the, that'll create uh, a kind of very secure. Uh, and risk averse option for some um, for some DeFi users, uh, and it's kind of a necessary piece in in, in DeFi. 
That's great. And shifting gears a little bit, I know DAOs are an emerging trend. We've seen a ton of activity kind of start to emerge in. Can you talk a little bit about your journey to a DAO and you know which is now kind of driving the the development rather than kind of a centralized entity? Yeah, great question. This is actually something that we've focused on a, a huge amount. Um, or from the very first white paper that described white papers are a bit old school now, but the first um, uh, the first paper that described Mstable um, spoke of Meta, this token that would govern uh, the parameters of the system, uh, and that's been a core goal from the project from day from day zero. Um, and uh, really, where we're at now is that we have uh, a DAO that controls pretty much everything um so there are some real world expenses um uh and real world entities that do exist but it's kind of similar to i mean i'd be interested to um uh, hear and read more about edge and node which i know you 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 lead and and there's also another uh, grant recipient company if i'm not wrong for, for the graph um, yeah, the Graph Foundation uh, and the council of that is looking to eventually move into a DAO. So we'll, we'll definitely take your lead in, in all of the education here. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, um, that's that's really interesting. And um, yeah, so Mstable is a DAO. And there are actually two sub-DAOs that are um, part of Mstable. One is the Mstable uh, DAO, and they're totally independent, separate signers. Um, ultimately, meta holders control everything. So if you go onto our snapshot page, you'll see a whole heap of proposals, um, right from kind of, should we bring on this employee to, um, uh, should we change this parameter on the system or should we release a new staking contract? Um, the M stable DAO is in charge of the treasury. So that, that holds a whole bunch of meta tokens, but it also has a, a, a whole bunch of USD and other, um, kind of strategic allocation of DeFi tokens as well in ETH. Uh, that's on the M stable DAO side. And there's an independent person who actually manages, we call it a cat herder, um, who manages the signers and makes sure that they actually um, turn up for work, so to speak, and it runs very smoothly. Um, all of the operations of the Mstable DAO are totally separate uh, from the protocol DAO. And the protocol DAO manages no money, uh, but manages the technical um, upgrades of the system. Um, and... Uh, the the kind of overlord of all of these DAOs is the token holder, but there there are some uh, small things that signers themselves can uh, decide upon. Um, uh, one major thing that signers can just decide upon in the Mstable DAO is um, is funding of uh, the the um, of of these separate entities. Um, so we have uh, a, a, a grant recipient company called. D44 Ventures and another one in New Zealand as well. And these companies um, uh, have put up their hands to be recipients um, of uh, funds and then they support in a whole number of ways. Uh, but yeah, Mstable is a, M-Stable is a DAO. Um, and where uh, we, it, it, for us, it's really hard to conceptualize it being any other way. Um, and it's also enabled us to uh, hire from the community a lot more than I think would have otherwise been possible. Um, a lot of community members have come up and they start contributing and they receive a, a salary or some kind of stipend from, from the DAO, often just stream directly from a Sabley stream or something like that. 
Uh, and it's and it's pretty exciting. I mean, the number of contributors um, to the DAO are just forever forever increasing, and um, across four continents or something like that. Um, and there's something kind of big going on here when you see these internet organizations hiring, uh, regardless of location, uh, and uh, everyone kind of being tied together by a token and a mission. Um, uh, so yeah, we're really excited about that. Um, uh, but we also do understand the need for a re- real world companies to do some um, services for the for the for the DAO, but. The way we structured is that they're independent and run by separate people. So I don't actually run either of those companies. Uh, I'm just a uh, I'm just a meta token holder. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it, it is really great to see how you were some of the early thinkers around around this. And I know a lot of people talk about decentralization, and it's kind of become a buzzword. And I do feel like as an industry, we sometimes convolute open source and decentralization, but they are very different things. Uh, but at Mstable, you're really walking the walk when it comes to decentralization. And so I I know that you are kind of decentralizing Mstable at the at the stablecoin level, but I want to shift gears and, and talk a little bit about how you are decentralized at the infrastructure level. Can you share a little bit more about the like decentralized infrastructure that you've built Mstable on and, and why you chose to build on that stack? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we first built, uh, or first were looking at building Mstable, there was very little uh, possibilities in the de- decentralized infrastructure space. That has improved massively. Uh, and really, the, the, the leader in this space is, um, is definitely the graph. And our front-end developer, I wish he was on the podcast right now because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's uh, he's a little obsessed by the graph, um, and uh, we we first used uh, we, we were kind of interested in 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 how we can uh, pull data from the blockchain in a way that is decentralized. Because really, when you're building these products, you want them to be censorship resistant. You the thing that really excited us is that the idea of okay, if we build these contracts correctly and we build the governance of the system correctly. Nothing uh, can stop it, and that means that financial service can be open to anyone with an internet connection. Um, but unfortunately, it's not just at the contract level where that, um, or the governance level, where that censorship resistance um, is kind of needed to be solved. It's also at the infrastructure level. So, how do you actually pull data to a front end? Uh, how do you index and query data? And that's where the graph came in, and the first iteration of the graph. And you, obviously, you would know a lot more than me. So, so, so jump in if I if I um if I um am inaccurate in any way. Um, but it, the, the network itself wasn't wasn't built. Um, so it was I, I think still uh, servers in maybe not AWS but something comparable. Um, ultimately, but now recently uh, the decentralized network has been has been launched um, and there's a whole bunch of nodes all around the world that are actually the um, effectively the servers and, and are indexing the, um, the 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 data on on ethereum and and, and other crypto jurisdictions um, and uh, we were kind of it was kind of a no-brainer for us uh, we, we we shifted over um, immediately 
uh, and, and we're really happy to be in the first batch um, of, of protocols using uh, the Graphs decentralized network. Um, so that, yeah, ho- hopefully that's kind of a, a, a broad uh, idea uh, of, of why we did it. But um, we're kind of really thrilled that that is yet another aspect of our protocol that we can tick off and say, okay, this is, this is um, properly robust. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that there's little point in building centralized infrastructure on top of decentralized blockchains. I understand that it's kind of a, a temporary solution, but it's not always the best long-term solution. So yeah. And, and speaking of that network, as you mentioned, you were one of the first projects that migrated to the Graphs decentralized network. Can you speak a little bit about that migration process? Was it complex? And and also maybe chat a little bit about the uptime on the Graphs network compared to the the hosted service or kind of centralized infrastructure that existed prior sure yeah absolutely so um the, the I, mean, I think it happened about a month ago that we, we we moved across is that right or maybe six weeks um yeah and about yeah about that and um in terms of development work uh it was it was from from my perspective and i'm actually not the uh the developer i'm not a developer and i'm and i and i wasn't the one who implemented it uh, but put it this way, I'm always looking at uh, what our developers are spending time on, and um, I always know, and I always have a feeling if something is taking uh, longer than it should. Um, so the process of migrating wasn't time-consuming, at least from a management perspective. It didn't kind of impact anything else we were, uh, any other priorities that we were doing. Um, so from that perspective, super, uh, super impressed. I think in terms of the the kind of differences in how it it functions, uh, we haven't noticed the difference. Um, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd have to ask um, our front-end developer if there's anything on his side that he's seen, but I haven't heard it. So um, it's generally equally as uh, as fast, at least from at least from my perspective. Amazing. And would love to also talk a little bit about the decision to build on Ethereum and and how you're kind of enjoying that process now. And if you're looking at potentially expanding to any like layer twos or, or side chains. Yeah, great question. So we we were working with the Polygon team uh, early, early this year and we decided to launch on that uh, in, I think it was March. Um, so we're one of the first DeFi projects to move over to Polygon. Um, and they've been really, really supportive, and there are matic rewards on on, on Mstable right now. Um, it also, super, super easy to migrate to to Polygon. Um, so it's incredible how much how much uh, you can improve your protocol uh, really easily. Um, you know, put put the decentralized graph network in there, put it onto Polygon, and you've actually just got you've you've improved kind of it so much in in, in different ways. Um, and, and, and for in terms of dev time, it's really small. In terms of other protocols, we're focused more right now on actually developing a new stablecoin-related product. So we're focused actually more on product at the moment and scalability. Um, but uh, in terms of other, I call them crypto jurisdictions because there's layer twos and there's side chains and there's other layer ones and it's kind of heaps of different words. I just call them kind of other crypto jurisdictions or scalability solutions. Um, we are looking at Arbitrum uh, particularly, uh, and that's uh, – so we'll, we'll see what happens there. 
a lot of other layer ones are kind of approaching us to build on them. In our mind, we would we we, we don't kind of immediately go on to other layer ones um, super easily. There needs to be a very pressing uh, product requirement. Um, uh, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we are now. The happy thing about dealing with stable coins is that stable coins exist everywhere. So even if we did launch in these uh, kind of just spray fired the protocol everywhere, uh, there would be some some utilization, uh, we think. Um, but there's other kind of aspects you can think about, like if there's going to be token rewards, how much do you put there? Um, uh, so we are also thinking of maybe of, of, of launching without any token rewards on these other uh, on these other places. Um, but we, we we kind of take the decision relatively seriously because it does create uh, a lot of work, and we don't think we think that it's kind of more important to have a product that scales to a billion dollars TVL um, than just kind of uh, hoping for the best and building the same thing everywhere. Um, so we're kind of more focused on that on that. Uh, first of all, how do we scale on on one jurisdiction? Amazing. Well, that's really exciting. Looking forward to hearing more about that product launch when the when the time is right. Amazing. Well, it's been really great speaking with you today. Where can the listeners go to learn more about Mstable and and get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks, Tegan. It's been been uh, fantastic to to be on the show. Um, Mstable.org. You can read about the protocol. Um, App.mstable.org is uh, is the app. You can also uh, log on to your Polygon. Uh, wallet and you'll see uh, the Polygon implementation there. Uh, if you're new to DeFi, I would really recommend just checking out uh, Mstable's um, Polygon. Uh, yields are very handsome on uh, on stable coins and we've tried to make it a really smooth user experience. Um, so yeah, I think those places are the best uh, and you can kind of follow the links if you need to read more about the protocol itself. Amazing. Love that. Hedge fund style returns in a savings account by Mstable. Amazing. Well, well, we'll close it there. Thank you so much, James. Hope to have you on a future show. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.